Hennessy Files podcast series. Proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Welcome in, folks, to another episode of the Hennessy Files. In the world of professional surfing, this man is regarded as one of the most fiery and passionate competitors to ever pull on a contest rashie. Frenchman Jeremy Flores doesn't cop fools. There's no bullshit with him. He calls it how he sees it, and it's been that way since day one. During his 15-year journey on tour, there's been plenty of highs, with victories at some of the heaviest waves on the planet, including Hawaii's famous pipeline and Chiopu in Tahiti, along with an emotional win on home soil in France in 2019. But like most careers, there's been plenty of bumps in the road, but it's all part of the DNA of this incredible athlete, and it's what's made him a favourite of surf fans from all over the globe. Stoked to be sitting down with Jeremy in Sydney today for a look into his life. Welcome in, brother. Good to see you too, brother. I've been good. Stoked to be here with you. Mate, before we uh, tap into your story, uh, I want to talk to you about the current situation with the uh, tour and where you guys sit. Most people are pretty stoked to have you guys back on tour. How's it been for the athletes itself? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, uh, we, we're stoked to be working again. It's our job, you know. Um, so that year off uh, we had uh, last year was, um, you know, we've definitely felt it financially. Um, you know, with sponsors um, and not surfing events, so no prize monies and stuff. So we've, you know, we felt we felt it. I'm fortunate enough to, you know, to have some money saved, uh, and I was actually really happy about having a year off because I, I felt like I needed it after all these years on tour, and uh, so I didn't really mind that. But now, you know, the, the tour started again, so so I'm happy again. And um, I'm happy to, the, the, the event starts and we get, we get going and, um, and get paid again. <laughs> From the outside looking in, how do you guys perceive Australia when it comes to the pandemic? We basically have had no cases here for months. Compared to the horror that is, you know, evolving the world, is it pretty, like, incredible to know that somehow one country has basically been able to isolate the pandemic yeah amazing man you know what i've i've i went to so i went to france last year um went to uh well we went to hawaii and i was in tahiti most of the time and i mean life's not normal there you know it's uh, people wear masks every day um there is uh you know restaurants are closed most restaurants are closed bars are closed i mean it's kind of it's uh it's really weird yeah, it's when we got out of quarantine, so we had to do that whole quarantine thing. And when we got out and just seeing, you know, for example, my daughter, she's just turned three. And this pandemic started like a year and a half ago. This is the first time she sees like real life. People with like no mask, like she can play around with kids on the streets and stuff everywhere in the world. Like it's not happening like that. You know, it's kind of like you can't really touch any anything. Uh, you know, you get really paranoid on that. You can't. Um, you can't talk to anyone. Um, people like look at you kind of weird if you cough and stuff like that. It's like, it's it's a it's it's crazy. It, um, it's definitely not a normal normal healthy life. So so now that that we're here in Australia and seeing 
seeing that it's great i mean i guess it's a big island it's easier to close the border compared to somewhere like europe australians definitely doing the right way that's the way to do it uh that you know strict quarantine is definitely the way to do it now there's been two events already in oz uh, you've had two 13th and you've had that fifth at pipe moving forward how important is these next two events in oz to get you set up for 2021 yeah, you know what? We kind of expected, um, you know, the, I guess the, the new schedule this year, they're just kind of adapting to who's willing to have events. So some of the states are not having events because of restrictions. It's just not happening uh, the way it, it, it used to happen. Uh, the, some of the events like Snapper, like Bells, you know, the, the, you know, the legendary events that, that are, were not happening. So we didn't really expect that. In saying that, you know, we went to Newcastle, Narrabeen. When I saw on schedule, I knew wave-wise we weren't going to be surfing amazing waves. I knew that. Newcastle was, the people were great. Like, we were so welcoming. People were so stoked to see us. Uh, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the kids, the grommets from everywhere were so happy to see us. Uh, so we're... It, it makes it it makes it easier you know it makes it easier for us even you know like i say like we like i end up losing it was like two foot like shorey onshore <laughs> you know you get like frustrated but you come in and everyone's got a big smile and everyone's happy to see you so that's all that matters you know we're here for the show we're here to make people happy and uh and that's it talking about wa margie's is one place i'm interested in, have you actually been to rockness before no i've never even heard of rottnest island uh, before so i'm kind of curious you know i like new destinations like that i mean after all these years on tour i don't mind going to new place it's an island so i've heard different opinions on it like some people say it's the most amazing place beautiful with like like really sick vibe and really fun waves and then i heard other version where it's actually a really hard wave so we'll see yeah, it is. I don't know where they're going to put all you surfers out there, whether you got to stay on the mainland and come over. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Now, moving forward with the other events, you got the Ranch, Mexico, Tahiti and Brazil. Do you really think that this tour can continue to go in the way it's going at the moment with everything that's going on? Um, well, they're, they're, they're trying, you know, I mean, the WSL trying to make it happen. Um, you know, when I look at the schedule, I... Uh, um, I, you know, obviously, I'm I'm surprised there's not one event in Europe. Uh, that's for me. You know, Europe, uh, the in, the surfing industries, the fans, the people uh, in Europe. Uh, you know, can't believe there's not one event in Europe. And you know, Europe's got money to have events, to have permits. Um, you know, to run events. Um, the COVID uh, situation, I mean, it's not like Australia, obviously, but it's, you can definitely make it happen. So I was kind of um, bummed on this, uh, on this decision. Um, but then, then, yes, I mean, I don't know. You know, Brazil, it's, I feel like I, I don't really believe it's going to happen. That's really risky. And a lot of the surfers, uh, from what I heard, uh, don't want to go there. I mean, not because they don't like Brazil, but just because the situation right now in Brazil is uh, out of control. So we'll see where that goes. And Mexico, I mean, uh, you know, uh, outside COVID, I mean, in a normal, you know, normal world, I would, I would be jumping, you know, off my seat to go to Mexico because some of the waves in Mexico can be unbelievable. But then same thing, I heard Mexico's, you know, the you know hospitals are full and everything. So, I mean... Do you think the vaccines will make a difference? 
because it seems like everyone's sort of starting to get on top. I looked at the numbers last night regarding Europe and even the UK where, you know, the number of deaths have come down dramatically in the last couple of weeks just due to the people getting their vaccinations. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on the vaccines, but the one thing you know is I think the right thing to do would wait would be to wait a little bit more to go to these places, wait till the end of the year, I reckon, you know, like places like Mexico and stuff, Brazil, like we should go there and then have events in Europe at the end of the year because everyone's getting vaccinated now so we're going to see the results I mean hopefully we see positive uh, really good results in the next uh, few months but yeah but in saying that I mean I don't know you know I don't know how it works Uh, I guess it's a they have to run the show they have to there's a lot of sponsors waiting there's a lot of investors I mean it's 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 business at the end of the day so so they, they, they probably have to run events now and and yeah, I mean, I'm, if I was part of it, if I, you know, part of like the whole business thing, I'd be able to tell you uh, if what's possible, what's not. But for now, I'm just a surfer. I'm just hoping we get good waves. I'm hoping to put on the show and, um, and yeah, hoping we go into this destination that actually makes everyone dream of. You know, people want to see the best surfers in the world and the best waves in the world. That's the whole point of this uh, world tour. Jeremy, let's take a journey back in time. My relationship with you began 20 years ago when you were very young. I formed a strong connection with your dad, Patrick, and he's still one of my all-time favorite people I've ever met in the surf industry. I just love the genuine personalities of both you and your dad and the respect you have shown me over the years for supporting your career. It's pretty weird that we are sitting in Newport today as as it's a place you spent a lot of time when you were young and people wouldn't really get that. How did that work when you were a Grom? As you seem to spend most of your time in different places around the globe. Yeah, so it's definitely a crazy, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy life. <laughs> I'm born in Reunion. Uh, my parents had me when, I, when they were really young. Uh, so then we moved to Madagascar because Madagascar is where my mom's from. Um, then so I moved, moved there from like five to ten years old, um, and and there was uh, so they they were um, they were taking care of uh, managing a little hotel there, and right in front of the hotel there was like a right and a left pass, and I I mean there was no surfers there or anything so but that's where I actually got got better at surfing, and my dad in his uh, he had a small you know surfing career too at the time and he's traveled a few few places. And uh, he saw, you know, he saw something in me, so that I had a, I had a talent. So they he, they put some money together, and they sent me to France when I was nine years old to uh, to participate in the Quicksilver Pro Junior in uh, Cabreton. And uh, back then, that was like a really big event, and uh, there was the under twelve and under fourteen divisions too. I ended up winning all of them, and um, and that's how back in the day Pierre Agnès, uh, who who after became a uh, you know big boss of Quicksilver um, back back then he was only manager he was just a team manager and uh, he saw me and then somehow got got a uh, uh, called my parents and my dad who was in Madagascar by radio you know so <laughs> you know there was no phones or anything back then in Madagascar so and and just the whole thing the whole idea was just to bring me um to places where i could better my surfing and so it was like an investment really i never really so i started getting sponsored by quicksilver when i was nine 
And uh, back then, it, it wasn't really happening. It's never really happened that way, especially in Europe, you know. People were kind of, you know, big eyes, like thinking, you know, what's a nine years old? Uh, why would you uh, invest in a nine-year-old? Way too young, should go to school and all that. So what they did is they thought, okay, what's the best way to get to be, to make him the best surfer he can? So they thought Australia, like obviously Australia, number one country for surfing. I mean, every, every, this country just breathes surfing, you know, it's a surfing culture here is huge. So they decided to send me here in Newport. Um, uh, Tommy Carroll, uh, you know, lives in Newport. So they decided to send me here and Tommy, so the first time I actually came here, we stayed at Tommy's house for a little bit. And he actually showed me some, you know, showed me the way, showed me some waves, showed me around, and uh, and straight away I, I end up being friends with a like a solid little group of, of friends here in Newport, and I really love the place. I mean, it's you know, it's what's funny. It's definitely not the best wave. You know, it's kind of just this little peak right and left. I mean, it's a hard wave, but I just love the love the love this group of friends I had. I, I love the lifestyle. I learned English real quick, and uh, and. And so, and then I started participating in all the um, all the local events. So from the board riders to the regionals to all the local events that you were organizing. Yeah, well, some of the events I think I wasn't really allowed to surf in them as a as a French kid, you know, as as a, not being an Australian, especially the the re, re, regionals event and stuff. I mean, I mean, it, it. I don't know if I was allowed, but because of you, you made you made it happen so that I could surf against all the best Aussie kids, and that was really, that was huge. That was huge because for me, you know, still to this day, there's a couple of trophies. There's this regional trophy that I have that I won in. Uh, I think it was DY. Yep. And uh, it's like a, um, a silver surfer. The trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now And it. still to this day, my my um, my dad thinks he's it's his most proudest moment of my career. <laughs> And not I won. The winning France. Not pipe. Not the winning friend. He still <laughs> thinks this event. And I remember when I won these uh, regionals because back then, I mean, all the best were here. I think really there was so much talent in Sydney. And I remember winning. I remember that that night, my dad was like dancing around with this little trophy. And what's funny is just just I mean, it's just a little local Re event, you know. But because when you come from Reunion Island. We went through so much and, you know, being a French kid coming to Australia and winning an event in Australia with some of the best kids, it was huge, you know, it was huge. And still to this day, it's one of my, uh, one of the events that really gave me confidence that I could beat the best because at the time, still, to, still today, but especially at the time, the best were Australians. It's funny you say that because I, I chatted and did an interview years ago, probably in 2010 with Geordie. And I asked Geordie about uh, his experiences in Australia and he spoke about the, one of the events that I used to run, which was called the Aloha Hornet. And he said, honestly, that was the event that made me realise I was world class. Yeah. He said, because not only did I have to beat the best guys in Australia, like Wilco, Owen and all those kind of guys, he said, every country in the world was coming to that event. He said, when you come out of your bubble in South Africa and you start beating everyone else, you realise that you have the talent to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's exactly the I, I couldn't remember the name. It's the Aloha Hone. That's the that's the event I'm talking about, um, and yeah, and then so I think I was here earlier, but then guys like Jordi and stuff, uh, a couple of years later, would come surfing the events too. So like you said, it was like 
international field, you know. And then guys like Adriano used to used to come, and and next thing you know, you have all the best. I mean, some the best surfers of today used to surf in these little little events, which were huge back then, you know. For us, it was like like it was a huge confidence boost, you know. Like surfing, like imagine like some of the finals, like Owen Wright, like. Uh, George Smith, I mean, you know, Adrian D'Souza, Ben Dunn, and all these guys, and it, it's, it's nowadays. I mean, all these guys made a huge career. You know, I want to touch base on a serious issue, and it's something that's really close to your heart, Jeremy. The problems in Reunion Island. It's a beautiful place, but it's become one of the most dangerous regions in the world when it comes to shark attacks. A couple of years ago, there was a really sad situation where a 13 year old ripper was attacked and lost his life i saw an interview with you shortly afterwards and you said when you go back there you don't even surf anymore as it's not worth the risk how upsetting is that for you to see a place you grew up in go through this situation and how can the government rectify it Rainian, you know, after being around the world many times and all the most amazing places, I still think Rainian is top three best location, best place, surf destination in the world. Like it's it's the real deal, you know. We have in Rainian, we ha- we have the best waves, all kind of waves. The culture is amazing. It's a small island with like beautiful. It's paradise. Yeah, they used to have uh, tour events from many many moons ago until uh so they used to have um yeah all the best back like from way back from you know gary elkerton and every year so that event that huge event in saint Lou used to be huge for us because i remember just hanging on the rocks just watching all the best like doing their thing um uh, when they came and it made us being made us want to be a professional surfer after you know that's the importance of, of having a, a world tour event in you know in small destination like uh, Reunion. Uh, about you know about 10 12 years ago it just everything started going crazy uh, with shark attacks it started having um, like a disturbing amount of uh, shark attacks on most of them are my friends brothers you know it's a small surfing community so we all know each other Um, and it's it was in a small distance of a few kilometers I heard there was 24 deaths in eight years or something. Yeah. That's an incredible amount of people. Incredible amount. And especially like, so the first few years, people really thought it was just, you know, I mean, we know the risk as surfers, you know, it can happen any days, anywhere. But so the first couple shark attacks were just like, of of course it was a disaster, but we didn't really realize that it was going to be a a shark crisis happening. Uh, uh, So... um, so then, yeah, so it, it turned into this political crisis because there was starting to be a lot of money involved too, a lot of political uh, voice involved, a lot of uh, green, uh, Greenies association that, you know, that I, I was really shocked about their, uh, their attention. I was always big fans of all these uh, uh, green, you know, organization, you know, to save the ocean, save the environment and stuff. But what happened in Reunion is there was a f- I mean, I can talk about this for like an hour, you know, but um, all the islands around Reunion uh, were, you know, a leave of tourism. Um, so what happened, every time a shark would get close to the shore, they would kill him or reject him. 
so all these sharks, so bo- we're talking mostly bull sharks here, they migrated in Reunion Island because there was never any bull sharks in Reunion Island. Back in the day, there was reef sharks everywhere, turtles, I mean, uh, stingrays, um, all kind of fish, dolphins everywhere. Now it's, now it's gone. It's dead. There's nothing left. So all these sharks came to Reunion and just a few years prior to that, some people from overseas, let's say Paris, who've never, you know, they had all these studies of, you know, for, to protect the environment. So I respect that, but they never knew anything about our island. And they decided to do a marine reserve right in the, in the area where all the surf spots are. So at the time, we, we didn't see anything wrong with that. We didn't really know. We didn't see it coming, you know, we're like, oh, cool. Like, um, a, you know, protection. But then there was, uh, that meant also no fishing in this area. So the the presence of uh, fishermen in the area, what we didn't realize was actually um, disturbing the presence of uh, big sharks in the area too. So the local fishermen never thought, I mean, we're never fishing sharks, but just by the presence, you know, it, um, it, would make, uh, it would make most of the big sharks not migrate in this area. So once they stopped that, so prohibited fishing, all, the, all these sharks from all the islands around came migrated there, reproduced there, and started killing everything. So all the reef sharks, all the tiger sharks and, and white sharks that used to come there to reproduce and stuff, used to just kill everything, all the fish and everything. So all of a sudden, it was just a dead, you know, dead little uh, zone. So what they did is they started attacking humans. And when they tasted human blood, they came back for it. And it's the reality, you know, I thought all this would happen only in movies, you know, but that was really happening in, in Reunion Island. So they tagged a lot of them, right? So they'll see the result of the tag. And every time they would open a beach, the sharks that are tagged would, would go straight to that beach where they would open the, the where there'd be people swimming. So that's, I mean, you see that only in horror movies, you know? Wow. And it, that's really what was happening in Reunion. So then a lot of people, you know, like made sure they wanted to save the, you know, the, well, the economy, obviously, because all of a sudden, Rainian Island became the shark island. So, all the, you know, no one wanted to come to Rainian Island because uh, obviously it's, there was like the world, champ, world record of uh, shark attacks for the amount of people that would uh, go in the water, you know, the ratio. So um, um, then kids, obviously, you know, us, I mean, when you're from an island, uh, and you're prohibited to go in the ocean, it's like prison. It's like prison. It's like all of a sudden, all these kids started doing stupid stuff on the, in the streets, doing drugs, doing like, you know, just doing stupid shit. Like the, the surf, not only surfing, but just being in the ocean is a healthy way of living, you know? And that, that, that was kind of the message I was trying to send with my position as a, as a professional surfer, as a, as a ocean lover, and as a, as, as, a, as a lover of my community too, you know? And so we started trying to find uh, ways to save, to make like big nets that, not nets that would actually catch, but just protection nets uh, with like big, uh, big holes so that still like, you know, like small sharks would still be able to w- go in there. So it wouldn't have really changed a lot of the... Um, uh, like the way the ecosystem would, would would go because and what happens is all these green association that I won't mention but that I went to court against and stuff it went really far away they 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 pretty much said no so they wanted to 
they want to turn into like heroes in a small community because we're an easy target you know the main target you want to go at you know it's in you know the chinese i mean the, in, in america there's huge you know thousand meter long nets that just kill everything you know they're, they're the targets they're the main targets not rainian island who's always only been traditional fishing they live of fishing you know a lot of families there that you know they go out they get a couple of fish and they live of that you know poor families and so it was just an easy target to just make a you know a full hero of themselves of just wanting to be a uh, an animal protecting uh, but it, you know in that case what happened in Rainian was just it was just sad so I mean I can go on and on because it's um, it's a subject that uh, that that I you know that really touched me and I've, I've i've put a lot of effort into it too because it's really sad just first first of all i've lost some brothers you know by shark attacks that didn't deserve uh to 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 get killed and second of all for the next generations i mean you know you guys know imagine uh imagine in manly like tomorrow they just prohibited going in the ocean just from one day to another it'd be anarchy yeah because because it's part of you know not only the development of the kids but part of strengthening their mental health exactly because the ocean you know it, it gives you that energy yeah. and and like you said it would be i was trying to think of what it'd be like if you lived on an island and they just said mate you can't surf it, no wonder it's chaos yeah yeah it's, it's chaos so, incredible yeah so it turned into like a, a crazy political issue like it's turned into like like really like i've just kind of stepped out the last couple of years kind of trying to do my thing with my family and the last few times that i went to reunion it was just sad. It was just sad to go on the beaches where I grew up, you know, beautiful beaches with amazing wave, just empty, dead memories everywhere. You know, yeah. it's just signs and just, you know, kids go, still go there. And then, and then, you know, there's just like rest in peace names and just, it's just sad, you know, when like such a paradise and beautiful place. It's just, so I haven't gone back to Rainier in, in three years. You know, and well, that's my island, you know, and it's really hard not to go back because it's just killing me to go there and see it how it is. So uh, in saying that, there is a lot of people in Reunion at the moment. There's still some people that are working hard so that they can find an arrangement with the government, with the surfers, with the fishermen, so that things can get kind of back to normal. It'll never get back to normal for a long time, but at least to have some some places in that that people can get back in the ocean some places where fishermen can go back fishing to provide you know for their family just little things i mean it shouldn't be begging for that you know it should be normal but we're at a point now where it's just yeah it's it's a complicated subject wow yeah all right back to uh, your career 15 years on tour i was looking at that the other day and i was just like how the hell has jeremy been on tour for 15 years it just doesn't seem that long ago to be honest because when you came on tour you came on tour uh the same year i was coaching diane and kai was one of the last guys in on the tour and uh so three guys who i have a special relationship with basically all qualify in the same year in 2007 explain that experience because that year you came out you and Kai, basically. Kai yeah, yeah. was incredible that year as yeah, well. Yeah. You both went for the Rookie of the Year title, yeah, which you right. won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but t talk us about how you came about and developed so quick, because you were very young when you came on. Well, you know what? To start with, I, I was... I didn't expect to qualify that early at all. It wasn't part of the plan, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, everything around my career was like 
kind of plan, you know, go to Australia, learn how to compete against the best, get that that kind of uh, mentality of like that winning mentality to uh, because I, I was a pretty good surfer back then, but I didn't know how to compete. So I really did learn that in Australia. And when I was 15, you know, my dad's like, you should start doing a few QSs. So I did a few QSs, made some hits here and there, but like, then just, you know, back then it was really hard. There was like 10 rounds before the main rounds, you know. So I would start from the start and have make like three, four hits. And that didn't really mean anything. And then when I turned 16, I did my first four year on, um, on the QS. And, and I won the QS and I couldn't believe it. Like I, I was really shocked. Like I, I didn't think I was ready. I thought it was a bit early, but then I was like, you know what? Nothing got given to me all these years. If I don't go now, like I got to take this chance, you know? I'm not, I'm not like a Tash Burrow. I was gonna say, TB, is, is he the only guy who's ever knocked it back? Yeah, oh, I'm not oh. sure. I mean, you never know what can happen. You know? 100%. You never know what can happen. So I was like, you know, take your chance, get some experience and, and try to, you know, just, just get a bit bigger, a bit more powerful, a bit stronger. And there was a lot of comments on myself too. You know, people thought I was just going to be a punching bag on tour because I was really skinny. I was, you know, I was surfing really good in a small wave, but no one kind of knew how I was going in the bigger stuff too. And I was kind of excited because my whole life I wanted to prove people wrong. That's my, that's, I don't know why I've been like that ever since I'm young, ever since I started competing, you know, around like 10 or 11. I always wanted to prove someone wrong. So when like people that say, oh, you shouldn't be in this event, like some of your events, <laughs> I, 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 want, I was like, okay, I don't want, I shouldn't be in this event. I'll show you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash all the Aussie boys in, in, here in Sydney. I, would, I had that mentality, you know. It's funny, you know, because some of them, I had discussions with the better ones understood it because I basically said, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Yeah. I said, are you threatened by Jeremy because he's French or because he's good? <laughs> yeah. And they end up saying, you know what? Allow him in there because yeah. it betters us as well. But yeah. at the start, it was a little bit difficult. I remember. Yeah. I remember. So it started so all, all the way from, from that, these times, you know. And then when I got on the QS and then there was, you know, there's a lot of hype around me at, at some point too, where all these Young Guns movies started, you know, we did the Young Guns uh, movies had a huge following. So all of a sudden I went from this kid, this unknown kid kind of to this like famous kid. And um, so I had a lot of hype around me and I qualified in the QS, went on CT and then I hear all the, you know, a lot of people saying that I was going to be a punching man at CT. So I really want to prove him wrong. So I was really... Um, well, I got eighth in the world that first year and Kai qualified that same year too. We went for the rookie of the year title and it was just, I couldn't believe how I was making that many heats, to be honest. I'm really honest. Did you feel like from early on, I remember seeing you at Snap and I thought, you know what, I reckon Jeremy can make a statement here. And that first year, uh, you basically put everyone, anyone who doubted you, to rest because they all went holy shit this guy's got game yeah well I, I i don't know all of a sudden i mean heats with all my heroes you know i was really um i mean i didn't want to show my my you know game so i was you know i wanted to be i, I don't didn't want to show anything so i was kind of cold you know i was ice cold in heats in during the events you know but but in in reality inside i was I was really impressed by being around all these, all my heroes. I just really didn't want to show it because I thought if I showed it, I'd be gone. And especially back then, it wasn't like today. Back then you had to, you know, in the lineup, in the free surfs, guys weren't giving you an inch, especially when you're grown, you know? 
and uh, you know nowadays like the, the 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 new guys you know they would drop in on uh, all the the older guys you know and back then it was like you go in the lineup and you have uh, you know guys like Mikelo and then uh, guys like Trent Monroe or Oki and stuff like that and trust me they didn't they didn't give a shit who I was who, what I was doing they were just out there doing their thing and I was just taking the rest you know and I didn't mind that you know but I just thought in heats I had the you know I would have the opportunity to 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 show my surfing and to do something good in that first seven years on tour you were ultra consistent in fact you only think in 2009 was the only year you had to sort of go back to the qs to re-qualify so in seven years you basically nailed it uh how was that early period and the growth in your in your body and your performances yeah well i i thought i had to work on my uh my rail game and being more powerful for sure you know when you surf against a a heat against someone really powerful and i was really skinny you could still feel it in like point breaks or waves like bells beach j bay i felt i was still pretty light but mainly i wanted to that first year all the events were pretty small waves. We didn't get, we weren't really lucky with uh, the swells every event. And that worked in my favor because I was coming from the QS. I had really good small wave. I was really tonic and, and just like, just jumping around, you know, going really fast. But then the year after we start having some big waves, bigger stuff. And that got me excited because people didn't really know my, my game in good waves. And I did some really good uh, results, you know, like Chopu, I mean, pipe, obviously. And I, I was really excited with these events because I had more, still to this day, you know, what's funny is I still think I'm, you know, I have skinny legs. I'm, when it's bigger wave, like for example, like an eight foot wall, I'm not as good as, as if it's an eight foot barrel. You know, <laughs> if it's an eight foot barrel, I'm confident. If it's an eight foot big wall with big turns, it's still not my strength. You know, it's never really been my strength. I can. I can, you know, I can figure it out in heats, but it's not my main confidence. Tube know? riding, let's talk about that for a second. Tube riding, it's incredible because you're regarded as one of the best tube riders in the world. I mean, your results actually speak for himself, but um, you're very similar to someone like Kai, who people said that he's, you, you both have this natural ability to read the barrel. Where did that come from? I came from just growing up in Reunion in uh, Madagascar. Just good barrels really yeah there's there is a lot of barrels there and then you know what going on these surf trip i remember the one surf trip that i really um just one of my first well, it was my first time in indonesia I went to mental eyes and i was with tommy carroll freddie p it was ben bourgeois mickey picon and we went to um we went to mental eyes and our, uh, and tommy carroll was on that trip too actually yeah so the, yeah the main guy and um, I remember learning a lot on that trip because I, I had some skills in the barrels, but I remember learning a lot of my backside, like, like you know, putting, like, stalling, like, with, like, you know, ass in the water and then getting these techniques and front side, trying to be deep and and uh, always kind of playing with the foam ball and stuff. It, it's funny, but that one surf trip, I felt like my level in, in tube riding went when really high. Yeah, it kind of just came came natural, you know. I I don't, I don't think it can be yeah. forced. After twenty five years of being in the industry, I just find that the guys are really good in the tube. It's a natural read and a natural ability to just be in the right spot. Yeah, I th- I think it's uh, it's all about positioning yourself on the wave too, positioning yourself like on the takeoff too. Um, it's it's yeah, I guess it's really important. I don't know. I don't really think you know when I go out there and it's barreling. 
I just feel like, you know, like I know where I'm going to sit. I know where I should take off. I know when I should stall. I know when I should speed up. Yeah, I don't know how to explain, but uh, I feel, you know, more confident when it's like that. Yeah. Okay, back to your career. Uh, before I get into the big wins, I said it on the intro about, you know, there's always bumps in the road with a career. It's, it's a unique sport for so many reasons, and it's part of the reason we all love it. But, um, but you had a, a really bad year in 2014. Like, uh, I could see it. I travelled a lot on the tour that year, and I could see how frustrated you were. And um, ultimately, you got suspended yeah, after yeah. after J Bay. Talk us through uh, what transpired that year, because that was a low point in your career at that point. Oh man, you know it wasn't so much about the results. Um, I just, you know, it happened that I just had three or four hits in a row where I lost by zero point something, yeah. and but. So yeah, it sucks losing. I always hated losing, but it wasn't so much about that. I think it was like a transition year where it's, I'm going to sound like, you know, like I'm, I'm bitching here, but I started like competing in a high level when I was like 14, really. And it went nonstop and I sacrificed a lot. I put so much energy in every event that I served since I was a kid. And I took my, you know, I took it really seriously. And when I got on tour and I, you know, I, all of a sudden I'm like part of some of the best surfers in the world and I was doing good and I won an event and making semis and quarters like many times. But then all of a sudden I just didn't have that energy of, um, I just, I was kind of like a burnout really. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, I was super young. I mean, you usually you have burnout when you're older, but because I started so early, I just started freaking out. And because I, um, um, I was like, so, you know, to, to be successful, you have to be selfish in a way. percent. Uh, yeah. And when you're selfish, uh, it, and when you're successful, it doesn't mean you're really happy to, you know, in life. And, uh, I was at that point where the, the previous years I was so selfish and you're just thinking about winning, winning, winning success, success. And all the rest, you kind of forget, you, you kind of forget about your you know, your close mates, your family, your, the, you know, the most important things in life. And, uh, and at that point, that summer this year where, where, where that happened, I, I just, I looked back and I was like, holy shit, where all these years go by? I just like, I don't really know who my sister is. I haven't spent time with my sister in years. Like I haven't called my best mate for like six months. Like, and you just look back and you get this frustration of like, is it really worth it, like, you know, to be like a professional athlete, but to lose everything else? And so that was kind of, uh, it was a moment in my life where I had to find a transition where I like, like I don't really care about being successful anymore, but I really want, want to, you know, get in contact again with my loved ones. I want to, you know, find my real self again, be me again. Because, you know, when you're part of the system, you're part of the WSL, ISP and stuff, I mean, it gets really boring. It is what it is, you know? Like you're just being, you're just turning into this robot or just surfing heats and, you know, you do heat interviews and you just, you know, you can't say anything, can't, can't really tell how it is. You can't really show any emotions. And, I, you know, so you just turn into this uh, part of the system where you, you're not yourself anymore. And I didn't like that. And that just kind of hit me straight away. And that turned into some kind of like burnout, like depression kind of thing. And that, that's one of the reasons why 
this whole blow up in uh, in JB started. So, of course, I thought I won that heat, but it wasn't all about that. You know, it was, it was about, a lot more. Yeah, it was a lot more. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Missing chops that would have just eaten away at your soul because yeah. that is the place where I feel that uh, that you feel and look from the outside looking in most comfortable. You look so at ease there. Would that be correct? Yeah, I feel I feel good that you know what? I've always felt good in places I love, you know, and I love Tahiti. I love Hawaii. Um and all of a sudden you get this good energy around you. you get this good energy with the waves coming at you. You know, it just comes into like this uh, really natural just this natural flow. And uh, I, I mean, it's not like I've trained hard to be good at Chopu. Not at all. It just came naturally. The first few times I went there, I just had a really good moment. Just, you know, people were amazing to me. The culture, I love the culture. Obviously, I love the waves. And it reminded me a lot from home, Reunion Island. And just waves were coming to me, you know, just like a natural thing. So people think I'm like, I get asked a lot, like, have you surfed a lot, Chopu, in your life? You know, you must have trained a lot there. Not at all. It just kind of... It just come, kind of came naturally because I love the place. And I really believe like a, a wave like Pipeline too. I really love Hawaii. I used to spend like five, six months there, you know, every year for many years. And, um, I, you know, I've had this special connection. And when you have a special connection with a place, then it turned into uh, some like good karma with the waves. When you went to Trestles after that suspension, um, you had a heat with Kelly. And it was probably the worst time I've ever seen of anything in the world. But... Uh, myself and you sat down after that loss against kelly and i and i, and I was just trying to get to see if you're all right as a friend yeah. i was just trying to work out okay where's jeremy at and and i remember saying to you, you've got so much more to give jeremy and as i was talking to you i don't know if you remember this but the ceo of asp brody yeah. car came over yeah. and wanted to chat to you two minutes after you just lost to kelly yeah. and i remember you having a discussion and i try to keep away from that discussion but i remember i heard you say to him mate he was sort of trying to make peace with you and said and you said mate this is my life and you guys are stuffing with my life yeah and and i felt like right then it was a reset moment do you remember that convo you had with him yeah, sitting yeah, on the deck yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was really weird because from that moment on i went away and before i was a little bit concerned but I just wanted to tell you as a person and as a friend that I thought you still had it. There was nothing going on yeah. uh, with your surfing. Just stick at it, Jeremy, if you wanted to. And yeah. um, what I'm most proud about is what you did towards the back end of that year because some people, because of the burnout, because of the endless, you know, it's a tough life being on tour, but you just stuck it out. And, and when you needed to pull a sign of a, a champion is when you need to pull out the results you did. And you did that in, I'm pretty sure I stayed up for about a week watching you in, yeah. was it Portugal? Portugal, yeah, yeah. You got Portugal. fifth? Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, fifth. Yeah, you got salt, fifth. Yeah, and like then that. you went to Hallie, even got third. Got third, exactly. And I was yeah. like, yeah, he's yeah. back. He ended yeah. up, and you end up 11th. Was that yeah. a real reset moment? Because you just went, you know, maybe I need to just tone it down and just and be happy being Jeremy again. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I, that's one thing too, is I remember speaking to my dad and my dad's, he just, just gave me a really, you know, quick heads up. He's like, he's like, son, you know, we come from nothing. <laughs> we come from nothing. You never went to school, never went to school. That's uh, that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like this is it, you know, like we come from a long way. You have a shot still, you're still on tour. So stop like bitching, get out there, surf, have fun and, and fight for it, you know? 
and it kind of just it's pretty simple but it was like a big wake-up call you know it was just like i know like what am i talking about you looked happier to be honest yeah the, yeah the next year and the next couple of years you looked a lot happier yeah i just i just wanted to um and I, you know in doing that too you know i kind of uh, reconnected with uh with my close ones and that made me happy you know that was the most important so that's why i you know before i was mentioning it was kind of a transition year because i was kind of just looking for the right balance between you know still having that anger of winning and that selfishness but at the same time having time for your the people that really care about you and they love you you know so it was a really really transition year and and it, it helped me grow into the person i am today in life too you know because that was you know it wasn't only like a sport career moment, but in life in general too, you know? So I feel like my career has, a, has been like a, a so much ups and downs like compared to a normal career. It have just been like ups and downs all the time. And you can see in the results, one year I'm gonna be like top 10 winning events and this and that. The year after I'm like barely qualifying. The year after I'm like top 10 again. The year after I'm like, it's just crazy how I've never really found like that that balance where you know now i do now i guess i you know with the family with the family that's helped a lot you know that kind of just happened and i'm so happy the way it's all happening but it took a while you know